Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Reis, your host, and very excited to introduce to you, and this has been a long time coming. Um, he's no stranger to Perusia because we've been selling his CDs for many, many years. Um, and his name is Jesse Romero. He's an author of eight books. Uh, he's a radio host and a great speaker, apologist, defender of the faith. Uh, he's a father, husband, and, and he's got a great testimony. We're going to go into all of that now. So please um, join me in welcoming uh, Jesse Romero. Hello, Jesse. How are you doing? Thanks, Charbel. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> well, let me it's get right to it. Let me get right Amen. to it. Well, let's dive in. I mean, I, I, I know you have a, a very interesting background uh, in, in uh, being in the in the serving in the police force and 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 having a, a radical testimony. And I'd love to just share with people a bit about your background, your upbringing, and uh, and, and hopefully this will inspire some people. So, Jesse Romero. Who, who I, were you a cradle Catholic? Yeah, I was born and raised uh, in Southern California. My parents are from Mexico, so I grew up in a Catholic culture. Um, every, all my surroundings were Catholic, but it was a cultural Catholicism. It mm. wasn't what I would call, uh, there was no deep interior life. Uh, and so as a Catholic, just growing up in this, in this Catholic environment, uh, went to Catholic school, went to Mass every Sunday. It was just something that all Mexicans did in Los Angeles. Um, joined the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department at 21. I I, 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 uh, I grew up immediately getting thrust into police work at the age of 21, uh, working in the, in the largest sheriff's department in the world, seeing a lot of evil, a lot of crime coming at me like fastballs, a lot of sin, a lot of decadence. And so I grew up immediately. And very early on, I never stopped going to Mass on Sunday, but very early on uh, in the Sheriff's Department, just seeing, seeing so much evil day in and day out, <coughs> seeing so much tragedy and human sin and so much devastation, and seeing, seeing the consequences of sin and bad, and bad living, I remember uh, there was a black officer, another rookie, we were talking in the locker room. And, uh, and he told me, and I'll be honest with you, back then, uh, I was prejudiced. I didn't like blacks because I grew up in a neighborhood where blacks and Hispanics, we always fought each other. Mm. So now I'm a black officer that I'm working with. And I'm, I told the captain, I said, I don't want to work with this guy. Uh, I need, I want another partner. He goes, no, you're going to work with him for six months. If it doesn't work, I'll switch you, but you're going to work with him. Well, that ended up being a godsend. I'll tell you why. Because this guy was a Jesus-loving, evangelical Protestant Christian. So he wasn't, uh, you know, a criminal, secular, humanist, uh, you know, uh, thug black that I was used to dealing with when I was growing up. Because, again, the Hispanics and blacks in Los Angeles County in many areas, there was always racial fights. And so... That was my, again, that was my impression of blacks back then. And so I met a black guy that loved Jesus. And now we were scheduled to work together with each other. And of course, when you work eight hours with somebody, you get to know them almost as good as you know your wife. Eight hours, 40 hours a week. So in between work, in between doing police work, we were always talking. And any chance he had, he would talk to me about Jesus. He was always quoting Bible verses and I was impressed. I was impressed with his, he's a young guy like me. He's like 25, 26. 
uh, married. He had three or four kids at the time. His wife homeschooled, very dedicated to his wife, his little Protestant denomination. I saw the way he conducted himself at work. He conducted himself different from other officers. He didn't cuss. He didn't swear, didn't drink after work, didn't flirt with women. I saw that he lived a virtuous life. He had a big impact on me. God in my life. And at that moment, I remember I would come home. I'd tell my wife, I said, Anita, I'm I'm working with this young black officer. I said, I didn't think I was going to like him. But man, I said, we've hit it off. We're like really good friends now. I can't believe it. Me and a black guy, we're like the, we're like best friends. She, and she says, wow, that's good. That's good. I'm so glad. And I said, he's always talking to me about Jesus. So what I started doing, I would come home in the evening. I worked four to midnight. I would open up my Bible. Uh, and I asked my mom and dad, hey, mom, dad, I want to start reading the Bible. What? Really? I said, yeah, I want to start reading the Bible. Really? Why? Uh, I'm just curious. I'm curious. And it was because he was always quoting scripture. This, yeah. this guy, this rookie, this friend of mine. And so I don't want to sound stupid. So I want to at least, you know, you're working at eight hours together. I at least want it to be conversational. So I started reading the Bible just to be conversational, not sound stupid. I didn't read the Bible because I was looking for God or looking for, for, for holiness or, or sanctification. I read the Bible for the wrong. I want to be conversational at work. Well, as a result of reading the Bible, I remember I talked to the pastor at my parish I said, Father, where should I start reading the Bible from? I want to start reading. He goes, oh, that's good, Jess. That's good. He goes, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I go, that's what my mom and dad told me. Stick to the Gospels for about a year. Get to know Jesus. Yeah. The the priest says, get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John over and over and over. Drill it. Drill it. I said, okay. Well, what ended up happening, and it's it's happened to a lot of people. My story is just one of many, is, is, is the person of Jesus Christ became real to me. He became a living person to me. And I fell in love with him at the age of about 27. I'm 62 right now. I'm an old man. Okay. I'm in my wow, early. You don't look at by the way. That's amazing. Well, I, I try to work out and eat right. And, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't drink. So try to receive awesome. the you know, every day. So I just try to live right. Uh, but, but um, I fell in love with Jesus. Probably I would say at about the age of 27, I can remember it. I'm in my living room and I'm reading the Bible at about one in the morning after work. And I'm looking at a picture of the sacred heart of Jesus right behind me. And that picture that you have behind you, I also have that picture. That's yeah, called beautiful. El Cristo Roto, the, 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 the broken Christ in Mexico. That's what we call him. So as I'm looking at Jesus and the sacred heart and I'm reading the Bible, I looked at him and I said, and he honored that prayer. I looked at him. My wife's asleep. She's going to nursing school. I think she's pregnant with our first ch- uh, child. I looked at that picture and I said, Jesus, I want to know you like Paul Clay knows you. I want to know you with that much intimacy. And I started crying and it was a genuine prayer. I was 27 years old. I'm looking at a picture of the sacred heart with a Bible in my hand, reading about Jesus and the gospel of Matthew. I look at him and says, I want to know you. I want to know you like he knows you. He speaks about you is such familiarity and such intimacy. God honored that prayer. God honored that prayer. There was an interior revolution that happened in my soul. And all of a sudden I started understanding the importance of a life of prayer, the importance of the sacraments, the importance of, of, uh, of, of virtue. And then from there, I ran across an organization, the priest at, at my parish 
uh, he says, Jess, I want you to be formed properly in the Bible. You're young. You got zeal. He goes, I, I'm glad to see that, that, that you're zealous about enduring about Jesus, but I want to make sure that you stay within the confines of the church. So he says, I want to send you to a conference. It's called Go Forth and Teach. Catholic Answers is coming into Long Beach, and I want to send you to that three-day conference so you can immerse yourself in biblical Catholic theology and continue studying. And this way you can come back to the parish, help me teach baptism classes, help me run confirmation, help me with youth ministry, help me run uh, adult retreats, adult evangelization retreats. Wow. So he put me up in a hotel and I spent three days for 30 hours. They were 10 hour days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was a 30 hour conference with the young Scott Hahn. He was like 30 years old. He was like, <laughs> he was like three years older than I was. The young Pat Madrid was there, 30 years old. I was wow. like 28 or 29. Uh, the young uh, Father Mitch Pacwa, the young, wow. uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the young uh, uh, Mark Brumley. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah uh, the young Thomas Howard, some of these guys, rest in peace. And so uh, most of these guys were former Protestants who were now Catholics. And they were going through the different topics of the Catholic Church, talking about patristics, something I'd never heard about, talking mm -hmm. about uh, the way the Old Testament is revealed in the New, the New Testament is concealed in the Old, talking about typology. For, in 30 hours, I took so many notes. I remember I went to the table. Carl Keating was there, the young Carl Keating that started oh, Catholic. Yeah. He still had hair on his head. I went to the table, and I remember I was so fired up on Sunday night when I was about to leave. I took out my credit card. This is 1988. Took out my credit card, and he had a bunch of cassette tapes of, of that conference. <laughs> and, and, and other cassette tapes that the Catholic Answers, they had about 150 cassette tapes, different topics. And they had a few books, just a few. One of them they had was Catholicism versus Fundamentalism. It just came out. And they had a oh, few yeah. books. So I looked at Carl Keating, and I took out my credit card. I said, I want everything in the table. He put everything in a big box. All the books they had, they had old classic books like, you know, Faith of Our Fathers and, and some of the old classics like that. Uh, all the cassette tapes. And I remember it, 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 he, I, took, I walked away, put that credit card down. And uh, in a whole year, I read everything in that box and I, I listened to every cassette tape. Because, again, when I asked Jesus... Uh, you know, really to come into my life and, 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 and that I wanted to love him. He honored that prayer and he also gave me zeal. He opened up my intellectual understanding to comprehend the word of God and comprehend the Catholic faith and to explain it. And I can tell you that's, that made the whole difference in the world because I continued uh, uh, my career in the, in the sheriff's department for another, I retired after 22 years. I, I took an early retirement. Uh, I just felt the call. I felt the call that God was calling me beyond police work. He was calling me to preach the gospel. I figured I'm getting older. I'm in my 40s. I said, uh, I'm in my early 40s. I said, you know, how much time am I going to have left? Le I, I can arrest people all day long, put handcuffs on people. It's a noble thing to do. It's a good job. I love it. I said, but maybe God is calling me to do something more. And my wife and my mom and dad said, God is calling you to preach the gospel. He's calling you. He's calling you to, to, to arrest people for Jesus Christ with the gospel. And so... <laughs> I, I really started discerning and praying. I said, yeah, I'm just going to st step out in faith and I'm just going to put up a website, get some business cards and uh, and trust in the Lord and start preaching the gospel. I'm Hispanic. Uh, uh, I'm bilingual. There's also a huge population of Hispanics in, 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 
in North and South America, I said, there's, there's a need for a bilingual Catholic speaker that's well-formed in apologetics, that loves Jesus, and that, uh, and that tries to live in a state of grace and, and, has a, and, and, and knows what the interior life is all about. And so, yeah, I basically left police for 20. I'm 62. I left at 42. And I've been preaching the gospel uh, day in and day out for the last 20 years. And I plan on doing this until my heart stops. Praise God. Uh, um, so there's a few that's interesting. Uh, the Catholic Answers doing their thing back in the 80s, uh, late 80s. And Scott Hahn, he, he, he was very new into the church uh, around then. And he, he had a big name. Um, uh, you're, so you left uh, um, the police force. How did, when you came back, were you, you were married at the time. Did you have children? Uh, when I left the police force? Well, yeah, during that time, yeah, did you have uh, raising yeah. a family? Yeah, we was raising a family. We had three kids. Yeah. Three kids, okay. Wow. And um, you got back into the, were you involved in your parish, what you were saying, in the, in the youth group, in the, in the adult formation? You did yeah. all that. Once, once. I looked at that picture, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, in 1988, and I was still a cop. I was a mm -hmm. sixth or seventh year as a cop. At that moment, the next Monday, I went to the parish, and I told the, the priest, I said, Father, I want to I get involved. I'm in love with Jesus, and I'm understanding uh, Catholic apologetics that we're the one true church, and I want to help you on my days off. And so these priests put me to work for 20 years. Every single day off I had, I was always doing something in the church. Uh, wow. and so, uh, I, yeah, I, I've, I've never stopped being involved in apostolic work ever since I, I, I had that encounter with Jesus in my living room, looking at the sacred heart. I could see his eyes, his, you know, the sacred heart picture everywhere you walk in the room, he looks at you. Okay. And I just, I just felt a deep love come into my soul that I've never felt before. Uh, and I knew, I knew, I knew immediately I had immediate knowledge that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. I had immediate knowledge that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I had immediate knowledge that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And, that, and I had immediate knowledge that everything that Jesus Christ says about himself is absolutely metaphysically true. I had no doubt. I had complete certitude at that moment in my living room in 1988. It's like I had... Not a rush of emotion. No, no. It was a rush of reason that mm. infused my soul at that moment. A rush. I understood that he is who he says he is. And at that moment, I said, there's only two ways to look at Jesus. He's either the Lord God Almighty or he's a liar. Just take your pick. And in 1988, I took my pick. I said, he's the Lord God Almighty. And I, and at that moment, I've never looked back. Praise God. Wow. Did um, how your friend, your police officer friend, just quickly, uh, uh, did he see a change in you? Did he notice the change in you in, in those six months? Absolutely. He saw a big change in me. And he kept trying to pull me into the Protestant church for many years. I can imagine. He, he was very active in his Protestant denomination. But the sheriff's department is very big. We got 22 different patrol stations. So he went off to a different place to work. L.A. County is very big, very big. So we would see each other. We would we would talk on the radio every now and then or send each other 
uh, a text through the, through, from the car, from the police car, from my car to his car, because he's all the way across, like a hundred miles away in, an, in another part of the county. So we would keep in contact, and we would. He would send me Bible verses, and I'll send him Bible verses, and you know, we would call each other up on the phone, and we'd argue a little bit, and he'd send me a book, I'd send him a book. Well, guess what? After about fifteen years of him and me going back and forth, Paul Clay came into the Catholic Church. Praise God. <laughs> yeah. a, 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 a black Protestant is now a black, and not only is he a black Catholic, he's a fired up black Catholic. He's deeply into apologetics. And, wow. and, and, and he's so, he's so into apologetics now that he's like a Latin mass only Catholic. Can you imagine wow. a black Protestant who right now is a Latin mass only Catholic does the daily rosary every day in Latin. And in fact, He's an acolyte. He's an ultra, I guess not boy. He's an acolyte for the Latin mass. He knows how to serve the Latin mass every week in his parish. Wow. But is he, are you, in, so you're in touch with him, obviously. You're yeah, good friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're good oh, friends. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, see, God, I get to see God's hand right there that you had that Catholic Answers conference at the time. The timing was just everything. Otherwise, you could have been probably picked up from him as a Protestant the other way. So that was God sort of put the right people in your life right there. Um, praise God. Um, yeah. Can I ask, you, I, I have heard a, a part of your testimony before where you came close to, you, you were fearing your life at one stage, uh, maybe a couple of examples, but there was one story about um, being in LA and you're in a, a, a car and, and these people were just coming and um, going to sort of uh, a, sort of kill people or, or smash cars and what was yeah, that yeah. story about you came close to to some this, this was in the early, this was the in the early 1990s okay. early 1990s uh there it was um they had it was called the los angeles riots there was an arrest there was an arrest of an individual of, of a bad guy of a crook named rodney king he was arrested by the los angeles police department and what ended up happening is, is they ended up taking video footage of Rodney King and the optics were bad. People didn't see the video before. Rodney King was under the influence of PCP. He's a big guy. He picked up a police woman, picked her up and threw her like a beach ball. Then the other officer came with his stick and they started hitting him uh, with a baton. Of course, it just looks bad. That's why... That's why officers now use tasers because a taser doesn't look as bad as a, as a billy club. But as a result of that arrest, the gangs in Los Angeles erupted and there was riots all over the street. Wow. And, and so I was, uh, I was basically caught up in it. The next day I was going to work or the next day, it was actually my day off. And, uh, as, as, as I'm going to, uh, as I'm enjoying my day off, I get a call from work. Say, Hey, you got to get back to, to work. We have turn on your television. There's rights all over Los Angeles. And yes. uh, so yeah, it was March 3rd, 1991. Wow. So I told my wife, I guess my days off are canceled. They told us you're going to work for two weeks straight, bring clothes for two weeks. You're going to sleep in the state, the, the, the police station. Wow. You're going to work 16 off. You know, uh, eight off, 16 on, eight off. And so my wife told me when I was going to drive to the police station, I said, okay, I'm packed up for two weeks. I'm not going to be back. Uh, she said, 
don't drive by the streets because there's riots all over. She goes, get on the freeway and go right to work. I'm about 20 minutes from work. Well, I didn't listen. And I was, I was like kind of curious. I said, I want to drive by where Rodney King was arrested last night on March 3rd. Because uh, it was about half a mile away from where I lived. I lived in wow. a city. I lived in a suburb called Lakeview Terrace, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. So Rodney King was arrested about half a mile from where I actually lived. So I told my wife, I wanted to, I, in my mind, I said, I'm going to drive by, see where the arrest happened, then get on the freeway and drive to work, which is about 15 or 20 minutes. Well, as I'm, as I'm driving towards that intersection, which is called Osborne and Foothill, because I want to be a looky-loo, I have my police uniform on. And I have a I have a ja I have a Dodger jacket, a light Dodger jacket over my uniform, but I got my boots, my, my police pants on, my police shirt, my badge. I'm just covered with a Dodger windbreaker, Los Angeles Dodger. Yes. All of a sudden, as I'm driving towards the intersection, I notice there's like a traffic jam. All the cars are piled up basically. And we're driving like one mile an hour, like you go into a car wash. You know? Yes. You go one mile an hour in a car wash. And so I'm saying, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. So I look ahead, and I saw about 150 young black gang members. And they did like, there was like a wall. Uh, and, and, and basically, they, they were doing like a, a gang member checkpoint. You know the way police departments, they on Friday and Saturdays, they have checkpoints to make sure people aren't drunk. So you got to stop and they check people. Then they let you go. That's called a checkpoint. Yes. Well, well, these gang members set up a, a, a gang member checkpoint and they were looking inside all the cars. And if you weren't black, they were beating you up. And so it was complete evil. And wow. so I mean, I'm saying, oh, no, I'm not black. I'm Mexican. I said, in every single car in front of me, they stop them, they look in the car, they smash the windows, and if you're not black, they start punching you. A lot of these guys had baseball bats and bricks. They would start smashing your face with a brick. Then they would open up the wall, the human wall, let the car go through, close the human wall, and continue the beatings if you weren't black. So I said, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. Because I'm saying, because I'm seeing what they're doing. They wrap around the car. They got baseball bats. They break all the windows. They jump on the hood of the car, smash it, jump on the roof of the car, smash it. And then the driver, you're not black. They hit you with a brick or start punching you. Then they open up and let you go. So I said, if they smash the window, I'm going to get a hundred pieces of glass in my face. And if they hit me with a brick in the face, it's going to break my, could break my jaw my windbreaker, if it flies open and they see a police uniform, what do you think is going to happen if they see a police uniform? They're going to pull me out of the car and they're going to smash me like a pancake. They're going to kick me to death. So here I am, one mile an hour. I'm seeing what's happening. I grab my rosary and I start praying. I grab my gun and I said, okay. And I had a lot of magazines, 16 round magazines, I had about five of them. So I had at least a hundred rounds and, and my, my gun had 17 rounds in it and five magazines with 16 rounds. 
And I'm already thinking about, okay, once the bats come up, I'm going to shoot the first guy. I'm going to go around. I got to shoot everybody that's going to come down and smash the windows because those bats are deadly weapons and I'm justified to use deadly force. At the same time, I'm praying my rosary, driving one mile an hour. So my rosary is 11 o'clock. My gun is five o'clock on the steering wheel. And I'm praying, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. But at the same time, I'm also visualizing what I'm going to do when I see the first guy try to smash my window. I have to shoot him first. And I have to shoot him center mass. So all these thoughts are racing in my mind. And of course, that I'm praying to Our Lady uh, to intervene in some way, shape, or form. Yes. So on the next car that gets right to the gang member checkpoint and all of a sudden they wrap around the car just like they did. And there's about 150 of them. There, some people said, well, Jess, how come you didn't just gun, you know, hit, hit the pedal, the accelerator and gun the car and, and just smash through them. There's no way I, I could have. There were so many, the car would have got stuck in a pile of human bodies. There's so many yeah. of them their human bodies would have literally stopped the car and I would have had 10 black young men underneath my car, which would have looked a lot worse. So yes. I'm saying, okay, <laughs> that's not going to work because there's too many of them and they're going to get yeah. stuck underneath the car. Okay. And so they wrap around the car. I'm praying to hail Mary's yard father. I got my gun here. And all of a sudden the main guy that's right in front of my driver's door says, Hey, Hey, He's cool, man. The brother's cool. Hey, he's cool. He goes, put your bats down. He's cool. All of them drop their bats. Then he says, let him go. Let the brother go. Let the brother go. All of a sudden, I saw this human wall of gang members open up, and I punched my car, my El Camino, and I drove right through. I looked back. The human wall closed, and the beatings continued. Now. Wow. I can tell you because my wife worked at the hospital that was probably about two miles away from there. And she said that at the hospital that day, there was 200 people that drove themselves in to uh, emergency, to urgent care. 200 people drove themselves in with major concussions and facial wounds. They drove into emergency at the hospital about two. Nothing happened to me. Why? I can imagine, Charbel, that people around me were probably dropping F-bombs, you know, mm. saying bad words. You're about to get beat up by 150 blacks. They don't know what to do. So they just, their lower nature kicks in. They start saying bad words. Okay? Not me. Yeah. Well, you know what's coming out of my mouth? Prayer. And I think God honored that prayer. And God, in some way, shape, or form, intervened. I don't know what he did. I don't know what I don't know what those young black guys saw. Maybe God changed my face into a black face. I'm not. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God maybe changed their heart immediately and put like I don't know what happened, but I know this: I'm not dead. I know yeah. this: I didn't go to the hospital that day. Like 200 other people went to the hospital. I'm alive to talk about it, and it wasn't my gun that they saw. Because when they looked at me, what they could see in my left hand was the rosary. They could see that because it was 11 o'clock and my gun was 5 o'clock. So when they wrapped around my car, they could see the rosary. That's the first thing they saw. And they could see my lips moving. They said, this guy's praying. And so wow. 
Wow. Look at that. <laughs> well, he protected you for a reason. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, I just love that story because it just shows you, yeah, you, yeah Our Lady honouring and, and, and Our Lord right there protecting you. Um, now, you, uh, your introduction, so uh, I know Terry Barber, right now you are a host on a, on a radio show. Uh, just very quickly, what's the name of the radio show? Yeah, Terry Barber and myself, we, we got kicked out of Relevant Radio. Oh. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, I like Relevant Radio, but we just don't fit their mold. We just, uh, we say things that are not allowed on conventional Catholic radio. And in yeah. a lot of Catholic radio, Charbel, I'm just going to be honest with you, we're big boys here. There's, mm. there's certain things you can say and certain things you can't say. Well... Me and Terry, I guess we operate in the areas that you can't say. And so uh, we got we got dismissed from Relevant Radio. And uh, uh, let, let me just continue. So Terry Barber and me, we started our own radio network. It's called uh, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. It's an internet radio uh, station that we started. And this way we can we can say the truth that we don't have to we don't have to mince our words that we're not canceled by station managers. So if people want to listen to our show, they can listen to us on all the social media platforms because we can't be canceled there. Because I'm telling you, I'm, you know, it, Catholic rate in the U.S., it's controlled by the U.S. bishops, okay? And and and, and they, they monitor who's on radio. And when you mention Jesse Romero, uh, the U.S. bishops will say, no, 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 he can't be on national radio. So um, that's fine. That's no, We live in a cancel culture. It's even in our church. Yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a real shame. Um, so, so what's the show again, if people want to watch it or, or, or uh, listen to it? Yeah, I do two shows a day. One's called G uh, Jesus 911 G and, yeah. and the other show called the Terry and Jesse Show. Yeah. And they can just uh, find that on, on all podcasting platforms. All podcasting platforms. The website is vmpr.org, vmpr.org. That stands for Virgin Most Powerful Radio.org, vmpr.org. Great. All right, we'll put uh, the link of that in the description uh, of this of this awesome. Now, when did you meet Terry? Now, Terry is the founder of St. Joseph Communications, and arguably, I mean, thanks to Terry, uh, uh, you know what he's done in the Catholic world, especially in, in in really bringing to light these Protestant converts. Dr. Scott Hahn's conversion testimony. Uh, I think it was at that Catholic Answers conference that you went to that was recorded, and then St. Joseph's got it out there, and millions of copies have sold and. Uh, and then I, it, you know, I first heard of Scott Hahn through the St. Joseph Communications um, apostolate. When did you first meet Terry Barber? I met Terry right about the, the, the point when I had that con that conversion in my living room. Wow, very early it, on. Yeah. I met Terry in 1990. I met him at a, at a big conference in Southern California. It was called the, uh, it was the big charismatic renewal conference that they have in that they have in Anaheim, California every year. It's called SCR. Okay. Huge, huge Catholic charismatic conference. Terry was there. He had a table, says St. Joseph Communications. And I remember as I was passing by, I saw, uh, you know, just a, 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 young, you know, a young man uh, holding up cassette tape saying, if you want to learn your Catholic faith, You've got to listen to the best teacher in the world, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, right here. So all these people are flocking to that table. There's about a hundred tables there, and I'm saying, "Wow, that guy has passion, man." So I I went closer just to listen. You want if you want to know the meaning and purpose of life, you need to get these recordings. Life is worth living by Archbishop. 
I'm saying, man, this guy really believes what he's saying. So I got closer to him and I said, sir, I said, I've just recently, recently uh, really surrendered my life to Jesus in my living room. Uh, speaking to Jesus, looking at the sacred heart. Uh, sacred heart of Jesus picture with a Bible in my hand, reading the gospel of Matthew. And, 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 and I just came back from a Catholic answers conference. And, and I do, I do want to learn from the greatest teacher. I've been hearing you. You said the, the greatest teacher in the Catholic church is an archbishop called Fulton Sheen. I said, uh, I heard, I heard many of the speakers at this Catholic answers conference. They were all quoting him. Carl Keating <laughs> at Madrid, Scott Hahn. They were all quoting this, this bishop, who is he? Terry goes, young man. He goes, I got 32 cassette tapes right here in this album. These are his, this is his convert course. This is his RCIA program to bring people in the church. I said, sir, I said, all the great teachers at that Catholic Answers Conference kept talking about him. I said, I took out my credit card. I said, I want that whole cassette right now. I want, I want the entire album. And, uh, that was 1990. I bought 32 cassette tapes, the album Life is Worth Living by Archbishop Sheen. I listened to all of them that week, driving, going back and wow. forth. And Terry, uh, Terry goes, young man, I want your number. He goes, I think God's going to do great things with you in the church. I gave him my number. We stood in contact. He called me up. He goes, have you listened to those cassette tapes? About a month later, I said, Sir, I listened to all those cassette tapes the first seven days. I'm taking <laughs> notes. I, I said, I have chunks of his lectures memorized. And little by little, he just started saying, you're an L.A. cop? I said, yeah. He goes, wow. He goes, uh, I'd like to talk to you. He says, maybe bring you over to, to my chapel and uh, maybe you could give some talks. A uh, lot of firemen out here, a lot of cops, a lot of first responders. And... Uh, Maybe you can inspire them to come back to Mass, to come back to the sacraments. I said, sir, I would love to do whatever I can to help you. So we formed a friendship in 1990, and it's 2023. So I've known him for, uh, yeah, years. yeah, yeah, 33 years. Wow. Wow, look at that. And what a legacy. Now, you did, um, I, I do remember your, your talks, testimonies, videos that you've done through St. Joseph's. I remember those 20 years ago. Um, yeah. And then, and then you've gone on to write uh, eight books. Is that correct? Um, yep. uh, what was the first book you wrote? It, just for memory, did you remember the first book you wrote? Um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, the first book I wrote was called Catholics Wake Up. Catholics Wake Up. Okay. I didn't start writing till like probably about ten years ago. I just never really wow. felt because I was doing cassettes and CDs. But then, as as yeah. those started as those started fading out, I started saying, you know, maybe I should start writing some books, putting some of my stories. Uh, and some of my experiences down on paper. So the first book was called Catholics Wake Up. Uh, and, and it was a lot of my uh, my conversion stories there. I yes. go into detail, detail. And then I just talk about a lot of people, a lot of experiences that I've had. Uh, it, being able to help people as a policeman, uh, you know, in the line of duty, come to know Jesus at a deeper level. And so... Yeah. Uh, and then from there on, again, I just started uh, just different different areas that interest me. I've written about atheism. I've written about, uh, uh, you know, the dangers of marijuana. I've written about spiritual warfare. I've written mm -hmm. a book on prayer. 
I've written a book on 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 uh, uh, my love of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's called Mama's Boy, uh, and I've co I've co I've co I've co-authored several books with, with with other other authors as well. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, probably yeah. the last book I wrote that that's the last two books I've written that that did quite well. I wrote a book called The Devil in the City of Angels. That was kind of like. A, a book on spiritual warfare of a lot of the stuff I saw as a cop, witchcraft, Satanism, Santeria, Macumba, Voodoo, all wow. the things that happen in, in Los Angeles that a cop sees day in and day out. And uh, and then I also uh, and I also wrote another book called The Catholic Vote for Trump. This was right before the last elections. I wrote a book on why Catholics need to vote for Donald Trump, and that, that book got me, you know, got me got me a lot of a lot of enemies in the church. But uh, the truth has to be told, Bell. The truth has yeah. to be told. He was the most pro-life. Uh, funny enough, uh, Donald Trump, uh, I mean, look at what he's done, the legacy there. Um, and we had, we had no wars. We had no wars when he was president. No wars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now, um, as we, we're recording this, we have um, a war right now. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a long-time war, but it's just recently that Palestine and Israel, you actually were in the Holy Land um, when it started, so we're not. This is not that long ago. <laughs> um, can can you share a little bit quickly? What was that? You want, were you on a pilgrimage in the Holy Land, and then there was firing that started while you were still there, or was that after? We're landing October seventh. Uh, the Hamas had fired rockets October seventh in the morning. We were landing to, in Tel Aviv at five p.m. So the rockets had already been fired, and there were still other rockets being fired. We were the last plane that was allowed to land in the Tel Aviv airport. Every plane after us from around the world, they were canceled or they were rerouted. Every plane. Wow. The last plane, we flew from New York to Tel Aviv. Uh, and as, as we're descending and looking out the window, I could see, I could see uh, black smoke in different parts of Tel Aviv. I don't know what it was. I'm thinking maybe it's old factories and they don't have good emission systems, you know, uh, I thought it was fa factory smokestacks, or maybe I said, or maybe they're doing what they do in California when there's a lot of dry forests, they'll do controlled burns. Last thing I thought about was there was a war. So when we got off the plane, I turn on my phone, I get, I have 30 texts saying, uh, Israel has been attacked and, and the prime minister of Israel just declared war. Uh, it's no, it's no coincidence that they attacked on October 7th, the Hamas terrorists. October seventh is uh, is when when uh, we defeated the Catholics defeated October seventh, fifteen seventy one, the Battle of Lepanto, which was a sea battle yeah. against a much larger Islamic Turkish army. Uh, so I don't think it was a coincidence that they attacked on that day. Uh, so what is why why are we at war right now? I'll make it simple. I'll make it simple. There, there's an old saying. That and and this is true. The fact is, you you can see this from the Quran. The Quran has about a hundred and seven verses or more that promote yes. violence against Jews and Christians. So the Quran systemically is flawed. It's a book that promotes violence against infidels and non-believers. And so, I would tell you that. If the Arabs would put down, if, if the Palestinians would put down their weapons, the Hamas terrorists, there'd be no more violence. But if the Jews put down their weapons, 
there would be no more Israel because they're always shouting, we want to push them to the sea. We want to push them to the sea. So Israel is between a rock and a hard place because they're surrounded by nothing but Islamic nations that really don't mm. like them. I think Jews are about something like 15 million worldwide. Yeah, and they're, very you know, small. they're surrounded by about, you know, 270 million Muslims just right there in the Middle East. So I'll tell you why this is happening. This is happening. The spiritual reason it's happening is because both the Jews and Islam, both of them reject Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is called in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5. He's called the Prince of Peace. If you reject the Prince of Peace, you will have no peace. Personally, in your family, and in a nation. To reject Jesus Christ, the social kingship of Christ, is to bring uh, a curse and damnation upon your country. The Jews reject Jesus. The Muslims reject Jesus. As a result of that intellectual and spiritual blindness, this is why they. This is why those religions are very carnal. It's, they're very an eye for an eye. Without Christ, uh, and, and as, as their Lord and Savior, there will be no peace in the Middle East. There will be no peace in Israel. Now, for us as Catholics, we don't have a dog in the fight because we live for the New Jerusalem. It's heaven. Yes. That's heaven. We we fight for the New Jerusalem. Our hearts are wedded to the New Jerusalem. We're not going. We're not fighting for old physical geographical Jerusalem. That's no longer the kingdom of David. It's a political. It's a political Jewish state today. But on the other hand, I'll tell you where the U.S. is involved in this war, and where we have our our hands are dirty. War is big business, Charbel. Big business. And most of the most of the weapon systems, guess where they're made? The United US. States. Huge multi-billion dollar industry. So these globalist oligarchs, they look at people like you and I, they look at us like meat sacks and earth eaters. We're insignificant. If they can get rid of us through the jab, you know, depopulation through contraception, abortion, or war, they don't care as long as they get rid of us. And I'm going to tell you, they look at all of us like deplorables. And so war keeps businesses like Lockheed, Boeing, Northrop, and Raytheon building weapon systems for endless wars. We call this the industrial war complex. And uh, what they do is because of these big fat contracts that we give them to gin up these wars, to sponsor these wars, what they do is they give sizable donations to these politicians that support funding for war. So the, it, it's, it's, a money, it's a money scam, and they're all getting rich off of this. The, the rich get richer in war, and the poor get poorer. And America is also going to suffer a catastrophe if we keep on rejecting Jesus Christ as well, because we have rejected Jesus Christ as a nation. We're a secular pagan nation right now that has that has basically voted Jesus Christ out of the public square. Yeah, yeah, so true. Oh boy, we got to pray. I mean, what the solution? I mean, what? So we got to pray for the Middle East, of course. Peace. We need the Prince of Peace to reign right now. Absolutely. And uh, we, we definitely are thinking of them and all the innocent suffering. Just uh, we are out of time. I, I mean, I could talk to you forever, but uh, 
I want to just re- uh, let people know, I mean, what you do, uh, you're doing this as a living, so you're writing books, you've got the podcast, you do go and give uh, seminars yourself now, you're giving talks across the country. Um, uh, what Can you just tell us just what does that look like? Are you giving, um, what, what would be your sort of field of expertise? What, what sort of presentations are you giving and, and, and how do people contact you and to book you in? Yeah, they can go to my website, jesseromero.com. It's got my speaking schedule there. And my field of expertise is anything that has to do with the Catholic faith. I'm just well-read. Evangelization, apologetics, uh, the church's social teaching, uh, Catholicism and politics, how they interface, spiritual warfare, uh, uh, patriarchy, the role of a husband, the role of a wife, uh, uh, virtue, uh, uh, the, the moral life, the interior life. Anything that has to do with the Catholic faith, uh, I'm well-read in that area because I, I, I immerse myself in Catholic thought. Yeah, that is awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I've seen you uh, on a lot of men's conferences as well, uh, do, doing amazing work. Uh, I know uh, we pray one day if there is the opportunity, if you ever will travel again, but love to have you in Australia uh, one day, um, if, you know, come and share your expertise. But. Thank, thank you for what you do for the church and, and thank you for being a beacon of light and truth and um, and we'll be praying for you and your apostolate and please say hi to Terry for me, uh, Terry Baba, great man, and um, and please pray for us uh, in, in your works and, uh, and, and let's yes, keep in touch. Thank you. God bless you, bro. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much, Jesse. And, and everyone, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry we had to, uh, we could have kept going, but we have to wrap that up. But please pray for Jesse. Um, um, and everything is doing, and and uh, please subscribe to this channel um, and and share these videos uh, far and beyond. Let's get this out there. We've got to get the good news out there and the truth. So thanks everyone. Pray for us, um, and until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.